Get him. Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast is presented by Mossy Oak Camouflage because everything is better in Bottomland and Lucky Duck Premium Decoys, Masters of Deception. Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. Listen, uh, did y'all get those uh, tornadoes last night where you were? No, no. It, we got uh, cold miserable rain last night but no tornadoes <laughs> i i gotcha okay well well i guess i jumped the gun a little bit but where 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 are you i'm in springfield missouri at bass pro shops nice. for the world fishing fair and it does not feel like fishing weather <laughs> no, no kidding it's an outdoor event um it's indoors and outdoors but basically they've got all the it's sort of like NWTF and ICAST all together. So there's a bunch of fishing brands that are here, and um, they've got big boots set up under tents outside, and um, and it's, it's pretty crazy. But we stood in the parking lot yesterday in probably an inch of water, Ugh. and it I mean it was it started the morning it was about 65 degrees by the end of the day it was like hovering right around freezing 32 33. So it was it was cold and wet. I mean told told trip hodges when i got we got to the hotel room last night i said uh buddy might need somebody to cuddle with me tonight (laughs) (laughs) bone chilling cold yeah don't make it weird (laughs) this is for warmth aaron said aaron said man this is one of those times you know you gotta take one for the team here you're the low man on the totem pole trip (laughs) (laughs) that's funny i was thinking uh right before all the storms really rolled in last night here I was watching it and I saw it on Williston, so I called Ben and and Ben picked up and it sounded like he was in the middle of Twister uh, and he said that all you could hear was like trees snapping and like I think a I don't know if a tornado was on the ground but there was definitely one right around mm. Somerville in the air and it was it was throwing some stuff around. <laughs> it was uh, not good. Did anybody we know anybody we know incur any damage? You know, not that I not that I know. I've kind of had my head down this morning, so I haven't I haven't seen anything, but. Um, I did have a thought, and this may be a Dr. Chamberlain question, but what the heck does a turkey do in a storm like this? Oh, I can tell you. Uh, tell an, old, an old an old, timer that uh, I learned a lot from in Missouri. When I was a kid, we used to, you know, when I was, so back up just a little bit, but when I was like a kid and in middle school, when Dad and I were learning how to turkey hunt, we just didn't have many turkeys in West Tennessee, Shelby Forest is the only place that had them, and, and they had a youth season, but they didn't really have much of an adult season, like there through the early 90s, and uh, so we went to Missouri, and we hunted uh, in the Mark Twain National Forest, which is a huge track of public ground up there, and that was where we learned the turkey hunt, and there was a, an old timer up there who is still living, and he had killed his two turkeys in Missouri for something crazy like 40-something seasons in a row or, you know, since they started the season, you know, it, what, whatever year that was in the, in the late 50s or 60s or whatever. But 
we were sitting around a campfire one night and my dad asked that exact question. He said, his name was Kenny, Kenny Breckeridge. He said, Kenny, what in the world does a turkey do in these hills when that wind gets to howling? He started laughing. He said, oh, man, he said, it looks like a pinwheel. He said, he just holds on that limb. He just goes round and round and round and round and round <laughs> until the wind stops blowing. <laughs> okay. Question asked, question answered. Because <laughs> I was just thinking about him last night, and I'm going, man, you poor guys. I, I don't know if you're if you're at the base of the tree or if you're trying to find a, a low spot or if you're up in the tree. I mean, that's a heck of a ride for a turkey. You know, I think hey, – I know, I know. And I would love to know what Dr. Tramblin said. I know that there have been two different times that I have physically seen a hen turkey sleeping on the ground. Um, one one was on a nest, and one was um, – um, and I, I bumped her. Like Derek and I were together, and we walked right up on her in the pitch black dark. We were walking in super early, you know, to a roosted bird. Yeah. And, I mean – we both like to die of a heart attack because she jumped up and made all kinds of racket. We didn't have any lights on. It was pitch black, dark, no moon. I mean, we didn't know if Sasquatch was about to eat us or <laughs> if a nuclear bomb had been dropped right there. I mean, um, and, oh, but she man. was clearly sitting on a nest and I, got you. I mean, we looked right, we shined our light right there where it was, and it was you know, 12 eggs, man. um, in a pitch black dark. And then another time, um, I was in Oklahoma, and um, my buddy Ronnie Lambrich was hunting in Black Kettle, and a, and a big, we were hunting just south of there on some private stuff that we had, and a big cold front came in, like down, you know, in the in the low 30s and high, like high 20s, low 30s, you know, below freezing, and um, um, and, and a hen sat on her nest in a really cold, high wind night, like just kind of like what y'all had last night. Yeah. Um, and, and he walked up on her and saw her in the dark. And so I don't know if she was real sluggish and, and I don't know if she was sick or if what, but she clearly was on the ground overnight. Um, mm. So I, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. I, if I was a turkey, I would uh, probably sleep closer to the trunk of a big tree. I know. I, I, you know, I, surely they, I mean, you would think that in a windstorm like that, they wouldn't roost in like a little, you know, eight or 10 year old pine tree. They'd find a hundred year old oak tree and get up close to the trunk. I mean, yeah, that's what, that's what I'd think. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, hopefully they got more sense than I do. So, I mean, I, yeah, but they're also not scared of heights like we are. So bouncing <laughs> around that limb may not be, I mean, I know that in Florida a couple of years ago, Dawson and I watched one in a tree that looked like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. It's about eight feet tall. <laughs> And I, like he was a big fat sucker, and when he sat on top of it, like it was almost bent over to the ground. And when he reached back and gobble, like the whole limb would bounce. You know? That's awesome. <laughs> so oh man, I mean, who knows? You know whether uh, I have no idea what they do. I got you. <laughs> but, I got you. Well, that was just a little curiosity kind of question I had last night. So that that maybe that adds something to it. So. Ever since Kenny told me they just spin around the limb, I've just always assumed that to be fact. I've never really thought about it much since then. You know, just kind of moved on to <laughs> hold on and spin like a pinwheel till it stops. That's right. That's That's right. He said, "He said just squeeze one on his foot." He said, "The good Lord made those tendons where it just you know that locks onto that limb when their body weight sits on it." He's right. <laughs> Man. All right. Well, cool. 
So tell talk to talk about this weekend. We had a fun weekend at Tennessee. Man, didn't we? I mean, are you still tired? <laughs> I'm st- honestly that was that was a that was a big tire. That was three straight days, uh, really early mornings, real late nights, and it's just kind of going yeah. like that turkey season, man. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, Boozer and Britt Oswald rolled in Thursday night about nine o'clock, and uh, man, we stayed up entirely too late. The kids did, and. Uh, got up and listened on Friday morning, and Derek and I went to our farm and um, had a bunch of goblin Friday morning. Boozer didn't have any goblin Friday morning, but Britt had one just burning it up. So Friday's weather was kind of crummy, but we were pretty optimistic. We had kind of had birds everywhere we needed them to be, and Saturday the weather was prettier, and it, it just really was – but it was slower. Mm-hmm. Um Britt and Luke killed one, or Luke killed one at about 11 o'clock on, on Saturday and came back for a big glorious story, which if you hadn't watched on social media, is just absolutely epic. I mean, a Luke Oswald story is worth the price of admission, no matter when and where. <laughs> oh, uh, man, there's a lot of adults that could learn how to tell stories from Luke Oswald. Yeah, and you know, one of the things about that that I would just point out is that if you're an adult who's telling a story, Put some of your personal, uh, you know, pride and ego aside and act out the story the way that Luke did. <laughs> I mean, you know? He was I mean, crawling around and I mean, strutting, strutting and, <laughs> and eating and, you know, it's awesome. I mean, oh, Luke's, man. Luke's he we he have a, is, and he's f- so funny. We have a, uh, it's a, it's a regularly occurring saying in the TFC thread that nobody hangs out with Brit for Brit. Everybody hangs out with Britt for Luke. <laughs> I mean, Britt's a great dude, but Luke is so colorful. Oh man, no <laughs> his, kidding. His paw, his pauses, and his delivery. I mean, he's just a natural orator. <laughs> the yeah, oh, no kidding. The, the the adjustment of the hat for for pausing yeah. for effect. And he'll tell a story yeah. too, and and he knows when, like he'll he'll give you like these little cues, like when you're supposed to laugh. He'll he'll yeah. take his yeah. hat off, and he'll take two steps back, and kind of lean on his back heel, and it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's just and he sets great. the stage, you know. It's like it's and, like, and then I do what I do best, and Paul took a nap. Took a nap. <laughs> I mean, he lets it marinate. I mean, the kid's good. He he's got he's got the flair there. So he's good. He's also a stone cold killer. I mean, the turkey, boy is was one of the most beautiful turkeys I've ever seen. Yeah. And he was heavy. Man, he was big. And oh yeah. Bronzed you know, bronzed, buff colored back. I mean, just just a gorgeous bird. But then that afternoon, Weston Samples killed one. Also that morning, uh that Saturday morning, Wyatt Sanderson, Collins mm-hmm. little boy, he killed his first. Um so Saturday was a big day. I mean we had three yeah. turkeys killed. We had seven kids hunting. And uh, three of them killed. Um, it's crazy. And then, yeah, so we had a big, big time Saturday night. We had we cooked burgers, and uh, Friday night we had crawfish, which was a terrible planning decision on my part because <laughs> I think everybody had the had the traditional crawfish purge going on Saturday morning. You know, while we we're trying to yelp up a gobbler. <laughs> I got back home that night and instead of staying for the very end of the crawfish boil, but. I wasn't sorry the next morning. I felt. I think I felt the best of anybody the next yeah, morning, you, and I know it was yeah. tasty. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I was jealous uh, <laughs> when it was all said and done. I was jealous you got a little bit of rest. 
Yeah. I think you had a little more hydration in your system uh, no, no than kidding. the rest of us did. But uh, the kids and I got pretty close on Saturday morning. We we had a bunch of goblin and, and had one windy. about 10. It was windy, yeah. But but just it was it, you know it's early and so a lot of goblin on the roost. They fly down and got quiet real mm-hmm. quick. But about nine thirty ten o'clock, we got on a bird that gobbled a crow call a couple times, but just really didn't want to play the game. He's on the side of a big old ditch, and so we left him alone with the intention of going after Saturday evening, and we did. And it was gorgeous Saturday evening. We mm-hmm. got kind of in between where two groups of gobblers had been and. Um, where they like to fly up from, and man, we hunted till nearly dark and didn't didn't see or hear anything. Um, but Weston killed one that afternoon, and so coming into Sunday morning, um, I got a picture of a gobbler going to roost at another spot that we had to hunt. So I took Maddie over there, happened to be where Boozer had hunted that morning. So Boozer got on a bird on a different place and had it roosted, and so we all kind of. For Sunday morning, we had four kids that needed a bird, and three of those four all had super solid game plans. Um, and uh, you know, as luck would have it, Maddie killed pretty much right off the right off the go, and and then Trip uh, did a Mohican sneak with Derek, went down a hedgerow and and um, slid up and shot a big strutting super Jake and um uh. And then, uh, and then Tucker Moss uh, killed his first turkey Sunday morning. Big long beard that came in right off the roost, and uh, and so six of our seven kids killed. I guess Ann Mack was the only one who didn't. And you can kind of tell y'all's story, but mm. from what I understand, y'all heard as much goblin as Boozer's ever heard in his life, and I'm certain as much as you've heard in your life. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we got in about 5.50, and mm-hmm. we're, like, outside the truck, no lights, being quiet, and they're already gobbling. He's ripping, yeah. <laughs> and we, from the night before, we had one that that came to about 70 yards of us, but he was just around a little curve and was strutting and just going back and forth gobbling that afternoon. And so yeah. one, once he cleared out, we kind of set up for the next morning. So we got in early and real tight, and we listened to an hour of gobbling. That was like, I mean, yeah, no five kidding. Five to six birds. Yeah, five to six birds every 30 to 40 seconds, like hammering, 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 hammering. And then once it got about daylight, they just kind of stopped. And yeah. I guess it's because they flew down or they kind of found each other or because there were so many yeah, gobblers, all the hens yeah. just kind of came over and that was that. But mm-hmm. it was intense. And I've kind of joked about, you know, we might just need to kind of get that downloaded as like an hour long, like loop of just like a, sl- like a sleep <laughs> white noise, something. I, that would stress me out, man. I'd, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be trying to fall asleep in full strut. <laughs> exactly. But man, it was cool. And, and it, it was, um, I don't know. We, I only heard two hens that whole morning. So that wherever we were was just in amongst a bunch of gobblers. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, That's awesome. but it was, it was, it was cool. And man, if they had done it, you can't script it. Right. But if they had done what we wanted them to do, it would have been unreal. <laughs> yeah. Just cause we well, had the perfect setup. Is, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. 
no, I was just I was changing topics on you, but six out of seven Hall of Fame numbers. So we're we're pretty pleased with our weekend. Oh, I hate that Ann Mac didn't kill one, but me too. But she was all up in their guts, you know. And, yeah, it was a uh, great weekend, and it's awesome. She's it's, also our she's also the smallest kid, you know. So yep. I mean, it, it 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 was the biggest getting her a bird was the biggest feat, and uh, you yep. know, it's okay. It'll it'll happen for uh, sure, for sure. So we got opening weekend this weekend yep. in Tennessee, and and then we'll have all the kids together again for the Low Country Turkey Invitational, which will be really fun. So, a couple, couple fun weekends ahead of us. No doubt, no doubt. You got you got plans this weekend? You know, honestly, I don't right now. Ben and I were going to hunt together at his place on Saturday morning, but now he's got he got called into work, so. Oh. That's not so fun. That means Dr. Weatherly's turkey hunting? <laughs> I hope it does. I hope it does. But, uh, yeah, he, he's been had some time out lately, so it's kind of one of those deals where he really gotcha. needed to fill in for some other yeah. folks so they could get some time. But instead of going and hunting Ben's place on Saturday morning, I'm going to wait for him for Monday. Be a, oh, nice. Be a good brother. Gotcha. So we're going to go together. We really want to open up Tennessee together. Awesome. Um, good for so, y'all. This will be Ben's first turkey season on his property, right? That's right. Yeah, his first full sure. turkey season. He had, I guess, he had it in May, but that's a yeah, that's a different time to kill a turkey around here. Yeah, but well, um, that's fun, and and there's definitely a few over that direction. We hunted, you know, the, my farm is adjacent to it, and so yeah. we heard a little bit of gobbling coming from that direction, and uh, you know, it'll be. It'll be fun. Maybe I'll maybe I'll go on my side and try to shoot one over to y'all on Monday morning. <laughs> hey, hey, I think it'd be great. I'll, I'll I'll take any bit of little help I can get. So, yeah, but it'll be good. fun. And I guess just to kind of bring it full circle with Ben and getting hurt and everything else like that. Getting, you know, that was one of the first things he talked about when when he got hurt. Is man, I hope I just at least hope I'm better by turkey season. So, yeah, for him to be better by turkey season and for us to sit out there and. You know, I, pr- I promised him I wouldn't do any cell phone gobbles around the tree. I wouldn't do. <laughs> oh, what are brothers for? But, That's but right. anyway, so. Uh, and and Josh, what about our buddy Josh? Oh, I my mean, gosh. We're waiting to see a picture, but Josh killed. He was with his cousins in South Carolina at his grandmother's 100th birthday party yesterday, and they tripled. I, I mean, he, he wasn't even planning on hunting. He said he brought a pair of camo pants and, you know, a bottom line pants and shirt and uh, got down there and it's just in case, you know, somebody invited him to hunt and his, his cousin had a place and they went and right off the rip had three gobblers come in and his cousin shot one and his other cousin shot the second one and the third one just stood there flogging it and they handed him the gun We're like, man, you know, do you have a license? He was like, yeah, he had bought a license just to yelp for him. But he said, well, here, shoot this one. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh returned to his grandmother's hundredth birthday party with three, uh, three long beers. <laughs> so, uh, Man, we got been, some guys in this. Start. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I talked over you. Oh no, I just said it's been a fun start for everybody. Man, it has been, and um, I mean Hunter got on the board too in Florida, didn't he? I saw that. Yeah, he did. Uh, right at the end of the day, they've kind of struggled, I think, with the weather and yeah. Uh, birds not gobbling much, and but yeah, he did. Uh, he and Ty did. So and pretty Kev- exciting. Kevin Taylor casually slips out to California. On I mean, fr- scouts him on a Friday night, Saturday morning by like eight o'clock, one on the ground. I mean, listen, <laughs> like, 
as Michael Boozer says, you do not want Kevin Taylor hunting you. That is a bad, bad man. I mean, absolutely <laughs> going to kill the turkey every time he goes. I have, he, a, uh, I have a video. We were going through the, the McDonald's drive-thru of Boozer getting the text from Kevin or from somebody, and he kind of goes on this little miniature rant about, that's a bad man. <laughs> you don't yeah, want yeah, to yeah. you. Yeah, he, bless his heart, he, he, he killed his turkeys in Mississippi, and he took a weekend to fly to California with absolutely no intel. He landed one afternoon, got got close that afternoon, that evening before dark, went and killed the the next morning, killed one right off the rip, and then went the next day and killed his other couple. And I mean, just finished up. I don't remember what I don't know what the limit or even where he was was, but he tagged out and, and had to move his plane ticket up to come home soon. I mean, it's like. I, That's one thing I've never know, had to do on a hunting trip is come home sooner. <laughs> yeah, I've I've definitely tagged out and and just gone somewhere else when I didn't come home sooner for sure. Mm. But uh, you know, I I've heard people say, uh, man, if, you know, you ever kill so many that it gets boring. And for me, it's never been boring. But I feel like he's killed so many at this point. It's got to be boring because he wins every dang time. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bad man, oh. but uh, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a you know fun and fast start for everybody really. Yeah, our whole team and office is buzzing. So uh, even even Trip Hodges got one. He missed one this past weekend. So we've had lots to rag him about all week. Uh, Drake is thinking about turkeys and <laughs> so fun times. Pretty birdie place up at the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think at staff meeting on Monday, everybody but me had a Yelper in their mouth. <laughs> so it's really it's really fun times for sure. No doubt. So you had uh, something you had something else you wanted to to share on the podcast yeah. today? Yeah. So so uh, the backstory on this uh, is kind of a you know, harsh change, not harsh, but abrupt change of gears go from kind of all this fun stuff to, uh, a pretty neat little story here. But, uh, the backstory on this is there's a book that Trip and I read every spring by a guy named Trip Goat Gross. Um, and it's called home at last is the hunter. And it's a beautiful story about a young boy that learns how to turkey hunt from his grandfather. And, uh, Chip, I said his name was Trip Gross, but it's Chip Gross, C-H-I-P. And uh, when I was 13, my dad bought a copy of this book for me at NWTF. He went to the convention, took us to the convention, took me, and uh, bought this book from Chip. He had a booth. And I think since Chip has written a bunch of newspaper articles and magazine articles and stuff and, and cool. maybe written one other book, but he's he's uh, he's not really actively – selling these books anymore so i buy them off of amazon whenever i can find them and i give them to my friends um and it, you know the the essentially the I, I won't rob you of the details but it, it sort of chronicles this little boy's life he, he learns turkey from his grandfather and then he ends up um getting in an accident where another hunter shoots him and um and so he stops hunting for a while and his grandfather passes and he's really bitter towards God for the loss of his grandfather. It was his only male role model in his closest relationship. And 
he vacillates around and, and, um, and there's this super cool story at his, um, at, at his grandfather's funeral, um, about an interaction that he had with the turkey early on when he was kind of learning the ropes and, uh, and, and so that story, I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know where Chip got it from, but there's a very, very similar story that, um, my friend Ricky Paget has published on Facebook several times. Um, every year it gets, it gets recirculated. In fact, if you go on my Facebook page right now, I shared it this morning and last I checked, it had been shared 5,300 and something times since, since Ricky posted it in 2015. Um, but, but I just think it's a beautiful story and, uh, it, it really encapsulates everything about spring and uh about what we love and and the relationships so i you know i just think that uh it would be pretty cool i want to i want to share this story with you i want to read it and so um you know kick back and enjoy it all right so here here it goes my grandfather took one last sip of coffee pushed his breakfast plate aside and stood as he pulled out his pocket watch Opening the lid of the old timepiece, he said, You'd better be going, boy, if you want to kill a turkey. His words caught me off guard so much so that it was several seconds before I could stammer a reply. But, but Pop, aren't you going with me? I've never been turkey hunting by myself before. I'd like to, Ray, but, you know, I've got chores to do, he answered, putting a hand on my shoulder. Besides, the only way you're going to really learn is to get up there and do it by yourself. Now, come on. You better be get going. I stood there in a state of shock and watched the old man leave the room to get his trusted Winchester 97 and a handful of shotgun shells. Following, following him back to the door, I still couldn't believe what was happening. Just outside the door, he reached up and took down a kerosene lantern, striked, scratched a match against its base, lit it, and handed it to me. You know where to go up on the mountain and what to do now, boy. God knows we've been through it enough together he said as he stuffed the shotgun shell into my faded bib overalls just remember what i've told you and be careful he placed the shotgun in my other hand and gave me a pat on the back that nudged me on my way holding the lantern high i headed across the yard now more scared than excited those first few steps that i took as a nine-year-old were the toughest i'd ever taken or would ever take Some of my first memories are of the weekends spent on my grandparents' farm deep in the Missouri Ozarks. Located three miles up a valley, or a holler, as they call it in the hills, the farm had been the home of three generations in my family. The old two-story farmhouse was typical for the hills. A clear, spring-fed creek ran only a few yards from the front door, past the barn and other outbuildings. The house set in a rare Ozark meadow surrounded by three sides, surrounded on three sides by steep evergreen and hardwood covered hills. The highest of the hills was simply referred to as the mountain because it was one of the highest points in the state. In 1962, I headed up the mountain that dark morning. Most of America was in the middle of a rapid modernization, but not so in the back country around this farm. Life had changed a little since my dad was born in the house decades before. Electricity had just arrived, but indoor plumbing had not, and the telephone never did. 
The roads were a far cry from what most Americans were used to. During the spring, the dirt path leading to my grandpa's turned into a muddy trough. But there were advantages to living such a life. For one thing, it was simple. Everything, for one thing, it was simple. Everything was hard work, and you did the best you could with what was at hand. Also, there was closeness between family and friends that sometimes slips away with progress. The primitivism of the mountains made them sanctuaries for wildlife. Small game was abundant, and deer and turkeys had never been pushed or shot out of the rough backcountry. Hunting was a way of life. As much as a means of putting food on the table, it was recreation. Like previous generations, I was educated at an early age. I listened to men tell old hunting tales and tagged along on squirrel hunts before I was five years old. I loved it all, but turkeys held a particular fascination for me. They seemed to possess an almost mystical quality. They were rarely seen, but they were always there. I can remember one spring morning like yesterday. Black storm clouds were marching over the mountain, and Pop and I were hurrying to get the last of the chores done. With the first rumble of thunder came a gobble from a nearby ridge, then another, and another. I stood there, my mouth hanging open in amazement as the hills around the farm came alive with gobbles. Pop finally snapped me out of my trance, and we made it to the house just as the, big, as the, just as the first of the big raindrops banged down on his tin roof. As a youngster, I had turkeys on my mind constantly. In the woods, I was always looking for turkeys, and I always asked my dad to explain any kind of evidence of their presence. I badgered poor Grandpa relentlessly, asking him to retell stories about turkey hunting when he was young. Looking back, I now realize he showed a great deal of patience and answered most questions to my satisfaction, except for one. When will I be old enough to hunt turkeys? Someday was sort of his standard answer. And one fall day, his answer changed. The smell of homemade bread was in the air as we cut wood from the cook stove. Pausing to watch me work, Paul smiled and said out of the blue, Ray, I think you'll probably be big enough by next spring. He didn't need to explain. I knew exactly what he meant. A little later, he gave me what became my most prized possession, my own turkey call. Grandpa had made it by hand using a piece of slate from the chalkboard at an old one-room schoolhouse. For a striker, he had cut a piece of cedar from a fence post and fit it in the bottom of a hollowed-out corn cob. The call was my life, and I practiced it religiously. Teachers took the call away from me more than once for using it at school. Grandma said I sounded like a cat caught up in a barbed wire fence, and Pop kept telling me to just keep on practicing. And so the winter of 1961 and 62 was the longest of my life, but it eventually ended. Turkey season was only a week away when Pop shook me awake one cold April morning and said, get up, boy. We're going up on the mountain for a while to listen. I did my best to keep up with him in the pre-dawn darkness as we crossed the creek. I headed across the dew-covered pasture and found the old trail that would take us up the mountain. We walked quietly until we came to a huge oak at the junction of two ridges. I started to ask one of the dozens of questions that were floating around in my mind, but Grandpa quickly silenced me with a finger to his lips. Cupping his hands around his mouth, he let loose an imitation of a barred owl. Imagine how I felt when a turkey gobbled down the ridge just to the northwest. 
We stood there for a while and listened to the sound of turkeys gobbling all over those hills. And each time one called, the bird in front of us rifled back a reply. As we turned to leave, Pop whispered, This right here, this is the place, boy. You'll want to sit with your back against that big oak over there, facing down that ridge. Use your call, and whatever you do, don't move until you're ready to come home. I was a bundle of nerves and anticipation the night before my hunt, hoping to make the next day arrive faster. I slipped into bed after supper, already wearing my hunting clothes, except for my oversized brown jacket and my old tennis shoes. Sleep was slow to come. I lay in bed listening to the calls of the whippoorwills, the coyotes yipping on the mountain, and the steady sound of the stream that flowed nearby his house. I'd been awake for hours when the smell of homemade biscuits and frying bacon and eggs drifted upstairs. Normally, I would have devoured the breakfast that was put in front of me in just a matter of minutes, but not that morning. I picked at the meal and never took my eyes off my grandpa. When he broke the news that I'd be hunting alone, I was heartbroken. For years, I had pictured us hunting together. The thought of trying for one of the mountain's phantom birds alone was beyond my young imagination. I tried to present myself as a man as I headed toward the creek. In some ways, today brought the realization of a lifelong dream. I was going up on the mountain to try to kill a turkey. The fact that I was carrying Grandpa's favorite shotgun was, accomplished, was an accomplishment in and of itself. But inside, I was scared as I had ever been. My hands were full. I had trouble crossing the stream. Midway across, I missed a stepping stone and ended up knee-deep in the ice-cold water. I made my way across the pasture, wet shoes squeaking with every step. I had walked the trail to the top of the mountain dozens of times, but never had it seemed so long or so frightening. I finally arrived at the big oak, put out the lantern, and sat down. I strained to remember everything that Grandpa had told me as I quietly slipped the blue paper shells into the pump shotgun. I sat there shivering from both cold and fear desperately hoping that Pop would come walking up that trail to sit beside me. With the reddening of the eastern horizon came the sounds of life in the timber. At first, I heard only songbirds, and I began to relax a little. Then came the eight-note call of a barred owl. Who cooks for you? Who cooks for you? I caught my breath when the turkey gobbled from down the ridge for the first time. I picked up the slate call, but I couldn't use it. I was afraid, afraid I'd goof up and scare the turkey and ruin my dream. Again and again, I tried to rub the cedar striker against the slate, but each time I pulled it back, it just didn't work. Finally, I shut my eyes, swallowed the huge lump in my throat, and shakingly rubbed the peg against the call. I winced at the gosh-awful noise that it produced. Whether it was in response to my call or just coincidental, I'll never know, but the gobbler hammered back. Several more times I tried to force some yelps from the call, but I just couldn't. I finally dropped the call in frustration and clutched the gun that was resting on my knees. By then I could hear turkeys gobbling all around me, the closest two being the bird in front of me and a tom on the next ridge over. I waited and listened to the birds gobbling. I could tell they were not moving. Suddenly came the soft yelps of a hen turkey behind me. I began to panic, figuring, fearing the hen would call the gobblers away from me. In fact, I started to move, get up and move closer to the hen, but suddenly I remember Pop saying, whatever you do, stay on that tree and don't move. 
Even though it looked hopeless, I stayed. Soon the three birds were calling almost nonstop, and the two gobblers were headed my way. Then I realized that the hen might actually be a blessing. To get to her, the gobblers were going to both have to walk right past me. Since I was too nervous to call, she became my only hope. I could hear the two toms getting closer to each other, but wasn't prepared for what came next. From just below the ridge came the loud noises of deep turkey purrs, flapping of wings and feathered bodies thumping together. I didn't know it at the time, but the two gobblers were fighting for that hen. I was shaking so hard I thought for sure the turkeys would see me, and the end of my gun barrel was drawing circles the size of a donut. Hearing the sounds of tree limbs breaking, I watched a big turkey rise through the trees and sail out across the valley. A loud, triumphant gobble sounded from the scene of the battle, and the hen responded with an aggressive series of clucks and yelps. My pounding heart went into overdrive. Breathing so hard, my black, rimmed glasses started to fog. The next time the tom sounded off, he was so close I could hear the rattle in his throat. Like a ghost, he suddenly appeared to my right, head tucked back, feathers puffed out, and wings dragging the ground. My first response was to swing the gun and shoot, but in the back of my mind, I heard Pop stressing, never move a muscle when you can see the turkey's head. If you do, he'll spot you for sure. And remember to aim just for his head. Seconds seemed like hours, but I waited. When the bird stepped from behind the big hickory, I twisted my body, cocked the hammer, and I raised the gun. There was a deafening boom as the old gun went off. There was a deafening boom as the old gun went off when the turkey stepped back into view. In my haste, I'd tucked the stock under my arm and the old Winchester had raised up and smoked me right in the face, bloodying my nose and sending my glasses flying. Holding onto the gun with one hand, I rummaged through the leaves, found my broken glasses, and poked them on my face as I ran to where I had last seen the bird. My foot caught a root, and I tumbled down the ridge, and when I finally stopped rolling, I looked up, and there he was, stretched out, his feathers glistening in the sun. I arrived down at the farm, soaking wet, covered with mud and blood, half dragging and half carrying a turkey that weighed half as much as I did. Grandpa heard my shouts and was waiting for me. He admired the bird, congratulated me, and then laughingly said, you'd better run along and get yourself cleaned up before your grandma has a fit. I spent the rest of the day telling and retelling him how I'd killed that big gobbler, fibbing a little by explaining how I'd called the bird myself. He just smiled and listened to every word, soaking it up. I learned a lot about calling turkeys that April morning, and I've learned a lot since. In fact, I've learned enough to make my living at it. I present seminars all across America, appear on hunting videos, have an outdoor radio show, hunt on television, and pro staff for many great outdoor companies. Grandpa and Grandma had to move off the farm and into a small community nearby. We lost Grandpa in 1976, and Grandma continued to tease me about sounding like a cat that was caught in a fence. It wasn't long after Grandpa passed away that the entire family was gathered one afternoon at Grandma's house. As usual, the talk circled around and turned to hunting, and someone brought up the subject of my first turkey. My eyes began to moisten, and I walked over and leaned against the fence to look out towards the mountain that held so many incredibly fond memories of my pop. 
A few seconds later, I felt my grandma's hand softly rub my shoulder as she said, you're thinking about Pop, aren't you? Never taking my eyes off the mountain, I bit my lip and I nodded my head. She lovingly moved in beside me and softly said, Ray, do you remember that hen on the mountain that morning, the morning you called your first turkey in? I looked at her and I swallowed hard and said, yes, ma'am. Ray, that wasn't a real hen calling behind you. She said, that was your pop. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> um, you know, that story is, I suppose, a real story. It comes from an old guy that is a, still around from Missouri named Ray I. And it's special for a couple of reasons. One, um, when I learned to turkey hunt, my dad and I had a cassette tape, and it was called Ray I Talks Turkey. And it was the guy who just whose story this is. It was him teaching you how to yelp, how to cut, all the different sounds that a turkey made. And uh, my dad didn't have a truck back then. He had a Ford Taurus. And we listened to that tape backwards and forwards and both sides. And yeah. um, Chip, when he wrote his book, modeled the story of this boy after this story that Ray told. Um, and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I, I just think the story is so cool because it's, it's all the things we love, but it's also just such a cool, um, you know, passing it on kind of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so. Man, the last part about um, that was your pop. I think that's so cool that he never knew that until then, just because it's like, you know, you want a young man to yeah. be proud of what he's done. And that's really cool. That's awesome. No doubt. And I, and I think it, you know, what resonates about that is that to me, always one of the coolest things about the Turkey woods is that they'll teach you in a way that, in a way that the duck woods or the deer woods won't, you know, a Turkey communicates and you know where he's at when he's gobbling. And so when he walks away from you, you may not know why he walked away from me, but you typically hear him gobbling as he walks away, or he just goes quiet and you know he's gone away. Um, but the fact that you don't see him show up teaches you something. And then when you're deer hunting, you know, a deer can smell you and run off, and you just think he just didn't move that day. And in the duck woods, they can just land it in another hole, and you don't really understand what it is that you did that, that made that error. But in a, in a way that I think is unique and special to turkey hunting, the turkeys have a way of teaching you you did it right or you did it wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked about that last, you know, last podcast when we had Hunter and Josh on just, you know, how if you'll, if you'll keep your mind open and try to learn, you know, Mother Nature and the turkey woods, they teach you. And so over time you get a little better at it if, you're, if you approach it every day like a game that you're trying to win um, and you do it the right way. Um, and so I, I, and I read that story. I think about so many things. I mean, you, you think about the gun kicking you in the, in the nose, busting your glasses, you know, it also makes me think about, you know, the first time you pick up a turkey by the foot and he scratches you with a spur and you, you know, you learn not to do that, do that a little different the next time, you know, I mean, there's just so many little things that you learn mm-hmm. the hard way in the turkey woods that are just really special. And, um, so Here's the, here's the king of spring. Here's the learning how to play the game. Here's the teaching somebody else how to play the game. Uh, 
cheers to spring turkey season 22. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) (laughs) I apologize for all the banging in the background. It was uh, (laughs) like I'm sitting in the kitchen where they're cleaning up dishes for breakfast this morning. No kidding. I hope that the story, magnitude of that story carries itself. That's right. That's right. Well, well, that's all I got, buddy. Man, that's all I got. And you're gonna get back and work on getting this chapter out. Awesome. So I'll be a fun one. About the be. kids. Yep, about the kids. So you're uh, good. Mm-hmm. About all I got there. Good. <laughs> so <laughs> that's okay. You, but, you uh, got you got editing brain going on. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I was in bed last night, and I kind of just woke up and went, "Oh, I should do this." I was like. Okay. <laughs> Seeing that timeline in your dream. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wish I wasn't, but I am. (laughs) So, but, uh, well, anyway, well, um, yeah, I guess we'll wrap it up here and good deal. We'll catch us next week. Uh, we're going to be somewhere between Tennessee and South Carolina. Maybe we'll do this at the low country invitational. Maybe we'll do it on the road on our way there with Keelan and the boys in the truck. So we'll see. It'll be fun. So, All right, well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. We'll catch you later. See you on the next one.